It got repeated in that song quite a bit. The world can hurt you and cut you deep and leave a scar. And the conclusion of the song was that nothing can break like a heart. And we picked it because we think people have had this experience. They'll identify with what they're talking about here. See, one of the reasons we think so many people have had this experience where you've had the world hurt you and leave scars in your life is because of the existence of sin. It can come into your life in a lot of different ways. It could be a choice that you make. Uh, It could be something that somebody does to you. You didn't do anything wrong. They did it to you. But then you're tempted to respond back in a really bad way. And based on your choice to that thing that happened to you, now you sin. It could be that you just bump into a world that's that's full of values that are not God's. And you get comfortable with those. And before you know it, you start to adopt those into your life. And just like the song said, it starts to do a number on your heart. It discourages you, defeats your will to try. It breaks your heart. It's why we've been doing this series called The Pylon Effect. Because what we've watched is that when people choose to let sin enter their hearts, a whole bunch of things seem to happen. Like, you know something's wrong in here. And your response to that is, maybe if I just put a pile on this thing, it can just get away from me. I'll forget about it. I just need to give it enough time. And so we pile on all kinds of things. Not all of them bad. It's just that the motive is to find a way to get away from that, to hide it, to think that if I just give it enough time, that problem will go away, but that is not how it works. That sin is like a slow-moving poison in your heart. And it starts to really disrupt you at the core of who you are. And it starts to spread into the pile that you've created. And it starts to make a mess of everything now. And now you've got a huge pile of mess on your hands. Where sin starts to leak out of all the cracks in your life. And you start having attitudes. You start having responses that you don't want. And people start to run into Things that they just don't get where that's coming from, and you don't either, because what you did was you created a pile and you thought you could forget about it. But it doesn't work that way. God sees this pile in our lives, and he comes to you out of a deep love and compassion and says, I'd like to take the whole thing off your hands. You've made a mess. I want to forgive you. And last week we talked about that's a process, that God offers forgiveness, that we respond by confessing, we respond by repenting, we respond by rebuilding that relationship with God. And a lot of people start down that road, and what happens is they get, they get into the rebuilding process and they start to notice something that they didn't expect And when they feel disappointed and disillusioned by what that process is yielding in their lives, they sometimes back away from the whole thing. And they act like the restoration process isn't worth it. This forgiveness process isn't worth it. I thought I was getting a fresh start with God. And you were. You were getting a fresh relational start with God. But what you notice is that there's some residual stuff that's remained in your life. Like, for instance, you were fighting alcoholism. 
And you finally, you finally could accept it. That's my pile, that's my mess, I did this. And you confess to that and you repent, you, you start doing something different about it and you're rebuilding your relationship with God and then you notice that you still have the cravings and you wanted all of that to go away and it hasn't and you're frustrated. Or somebody hurt you, like they, they took advantage of you somehow. And, and you didn't do anything wrong for that, but then you started making choices. Your response back wasn't healthy, and you started to carry a level, a level of bitterness in your heart, and you had all of that going on, and finally you could admit, that's my pile, I did that. And you confessed, and you repented, and you started to rebuild a relationship with God, but you noticed that you still don't trust people, and you can't seem to get past that. Like, that's still happening in your heart. And that refresh that you thought you were going to get a new start, that you thought that was going to touch everything, but you still have memories that you don't want to have. They come back into your life. You still are struggling with comments that somebody has made, and you said, I unloaded that, but I still hear my parents' words. You still are lonely. Like, I thought, I thought I got rid of all of this, what's going on? And I can understand. I can understand as we talk about this idea of getting a fresh start with God, that somehow you might conclude that that would include everything. Like, your memories are wiped out. They, see, God could do that. God could do that. But the fresh start he wants is with a relationship between you and God. And when you get to a place where you're renewing that and that's going really well, for you to back away from that, you're gonna miss out. And I think one of the reasons we back away from that is that we don't understand that something that's um, in the scriptures. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna take you to the edge of this process where you're into it and then you start noticing, I I'm still dealing with stuff that I thought would be gone. I expected God to remove this all from me and it's not. And I wanna take you into the life of a disciple that kinda gets a bum rap. In fact, his name is almost always said with a descriptor in front of it. And I'll, I'll say his name and then you tell me what that descriptor is. His name is Thomas. What's the word? Doubting, Doubting right? Talk about making a mistake that follows you forever. Right? Forever. He's got this label. What's funny is I think he was responding in ways that most of us would respond. I mean, Jesus had come back to life, and a group of ladies had seen him. Some of the disciples had seen him. He'd been seen by a few other people at different times, but Thomas hadn't seen Jesus yet. And because he hadn't seen him, he had questions, just like you and I would have had. And the scriptures record an interaction because the disciples who had seen Jesus, they're fired up about it. And they're wanting to tell Thomas to get him on board and to get him excited. And it's recorded in John chapter 20, verse 25, it says this. This comes from Thomas's, or from the disciples' mouth to Thomas. We have seen the Lord. Dude, we've been walking around with each other for three years. You know us. You know we would not try to like punk you on this. This is serious stuff. We're not making it up. 
We saw what we saw, and we're, we're giving you a witness of that. that look, Lazarus was, um, I said that wrong. Thomas would have been around when Lazarus was raised from the dead. He had some idea that Jesus had some power over the dead. But even in that moment, Jesus spoke to the dead and called that out. There was no category in his mind for somebody who was dead finding a way to bring themselves back to life. So he's got difficulty with this. And in the second part of verse 25, he says this. This is Thomas's words. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I've got to see this myself. See, I don't know if you remember this, but a few weeks ago when we defined sin, we said, listen, who you were made to be is a person who loved God and loved other people. And, and when it changes and you put yourself in the driver's seat, when it becomes about you and what you want and how you want it, that's when sin enters in and you hear Thomas saying, when I see the nail marks, I'm, I'm valuing me ahead of everything else right now. Now here's the thing. Um, he had every reason to kind of want that, just like you and I would have. But it's kind of weird what he was expecting. Just think about this for a little bit. If you're the almighty creator of the universe and you have the ability to come back from the dead, would you also have the ability to heal all of your wounds? I, I would think so. And if you're making a case that you're going to be a healer for the world, would you want to have all of your wounds healed? Why is Thomas assuming that, that, would, that he would still have the marks? Because, and he would have had a lot. I mean, his back would have been riddled. It would have been a maze of scars back there. He would have had them on his hands. He would have had them on his feet. He would have had one in his side. He would have had a crown of thorns that they put on his head. It's pretty clear that they probably bashed that thing down with a stick too. So he would have had scars all around his head. And... And the question is, why would he? If you're coming back to life, if you're renewing stuff, why would you have those scars? So maybe he's asking for something that isn't even going to be there in the first place. Now, this interaction that John records, a week later, um, Jesus runs into the whole group and Thomas is there. But they put it together just so you could get the flow of this. So in verse 26, it's now a week later, Jesus comes to the whole group and he starts off uh, pretty normal, peace be unto you. Like shalom is how he starts this. He immediately turns to Thomas and says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. There's been so much fascination with this section of scripture. People have drawn this. They've painted this. That's why we put that up there. And you have this moment where Jesus is offering this up. Now, here's what's, here's what's weird. Almost all scholars would agree that the body that Jesus um, just came into this room with, they would all call it a glorified body. 
So uh, before this time, before Jesus was raised from the dead, he was 100% God and 100% man, but he lived with the limitations of that human body. He got hungry, he got tired, he needed rest. All of that kind of stuff happened because of his human body. But after he came back from the dead, it appears that he still had a human body, but the spirit of God in him was showing through it more. I don't know how else to say that. It was revealed in itself a little bit more because it's very clear he had the ability to appear places and to disappear. The disciples were in a locked room and somehow Jesus got through a door without opening it. So his, his body's a little bit different than it is now. And the question is, listen, if he's in a glorified body, things have been set right, he's more, more on the spirit side than just simply the body side right now, why would these wounds even be there? Why would they still be visible to anybody because he had the power to heal himself, and he could have. So the question is, why? Why would he do that? Um, as I've been doing a lot of reading, I've come across a lot of uh, different <laughs> theories as to why Jesus would carry the scars of his abuse. And uh, one of those is that uh, what he really wanted was this moment with Thomas, that he carried those marks for, for doubters. Now, here's, the, here's my problem with this. Jesus responds to Thomas's doubt in verse 29 of this same section of Scripture, and this is what he says to this. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I don't think this is a slapdown, but I think there's a level of disappointment here. I think there's some disappointment that you didn't trust these disciples, these other guys, that you didn't trust the nature that I, that I had had, and you had seen for three years. You know I had the capability of conquering death. You'd seen me do it. And yet you demanded more. You required something else. And so I think he was disappointed by this. If Jesus had the marks to allay people's doubts, I think the scriptures would have recorded him walking through large crowds of people saying, look, touch, see, I'm going to conquer your doubts by showing you. That's not ha that did not happen. You can't find that anywhere. I don't think that was one of the primary reasons that Jesus carried these marks. And when I look through all the theories, there's only one that I've come across that even makes sense to me. And, I, and it just makes sense because I think this is how life works. And I'm gonna try and prove it. So um, if you're sitting at a table by yourself, make your way to another table with somebody else because we're gonna have a little conversation here. Um, and this is what I want you to do. Uh, make sure you introduce yourselves. If you're in a row with some people, make sure you introduce yourselves and I want you to try to answer this question. Um, do you have any scars? What's the story that goes with it? And I'm gonna give you two minutes. Don't, don't give the whole version. Like, you can't do that. Give the highlights and let a few people talk. Do you have any scars? What's the story that goes with it? Ready? Go.
Okay, let me pull you back in here. Wow, that was a noisy bunch. Did you hear how much chatter was in there, there was in the room? There's a reason for that. Um, the stories that are attached to your scars tend to be very vivid memories. I have, I have um, five scars that I can recall on my body. Um, by the way, thank you so much for not doing show and tell. Um, <laughs> I was afraid I was going to have to rein that in, but you did really good there. I have scars on my bodies, and four of them have very vivid memories. I have one. I have no idea where it came from. It must have been insignificant to me. But the rest, for a guy who has a really hard time remembering stuff, I could tell you a lot of details around that event. Here's what I think. I think your scars, the scars that we carry become very vivid recall tools for us. They're incredible memory recall things. And I think the reason Jesus carried those scars is so that he could retell the story as a reminder of what God had done. Look at the compassion. Look at the love. Look at the justice. Look at the righteousness that God possesses. Look at this. I want to tell you the story about how this happened. And you'll be able to recall in detail. Now you would think, hey, there's two sides of this thing. Because part of the way he got those scars was some harm. And you're right. Difficult harm had come into his life. And that's true for you too. Because the scars that we have when we enter into this process of forgiveness with God whether it's emotional scars or physical scars, or maybe we have some spiritual scars in our life that we would like God to get rid of, but they remain, those scars also have two sides of the story. They have the part of the story that got you into the mess. And if that's the part of the story that you tell over and over and over again, it's no wonder that you could get discouraged. But what about the other side of that story where God's forgiveness comes to you and gives you options that you never had before? Yes, this is the attitude. This is the way I have thought, but I'm not stuck here anymore. I can do this differently. That's because this God I know forgave me, removed my pile, and I have a different life. And although I'm still struggling with this, I want you to know about this good God who did this in my life. And the scars that Jesus carried would have told that story. And I just wonder, have you ever considered that the scars you walk around with could be telling a story about God to the world as well? I, I want you to see how John ends this chapter. The, the book of John is almost over. There's only one more chapter left. But he says this in verses 30 
and 31, right after he recounts all this, he's recalling all of these stories they've told about Jesus. And he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He did a lot of stuff. We gave you the highlights. We couldn't write it all down. But here's, here's the reason we wrote down the ones that we wrote down. This is 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, they wrote down the stories. That's why so many of them are attached to this idea that Jesus was Messiah. They were purposefully, intentionally retelling those stories in order for people to see that and to respond to God. But here's the thing. You could intentionally tell your story that revealed that a Messiah came to your life and made a difference. And one of the ways that you can do that is through the scars that you have in your life that are a reminder that you were once trapped in sin. That you once lived this way and thought it was normal. That this choice wasn't a choice to you, it was just your prison but now it's different. And I still wrestle with this, but I have freedom to wrestle, and I didn't have that freedom before. I still see this in my life, but I see it through the light of, the, of what God did for me in offering this opportunity for a new life. And your story gets to tell the world of a God who's at work in you. And you miss out on that if you get into the process and you see that you still have some residual effect. You still have trust issues. You still have cravings. You still have those memories. You still hear those words. But they don't control you anymore. And you can admit that they're still there and they're still giving you trouble. But you're holding on to this God who gave you freedom. And instead of being upset that he didn't wipe everything out, you could start to see that scar in your life is an opportunity for you to tell the world about a God who loves you. It really comes down to a choice that you have to make. Because we made choices, that pile sat on our life. It shaped us. And although the pile was removed, God is taking time. He's going to take time to renew that shape that it was put on you. And you can back away from that in frustration that it all wasn't made new instantly or you could step into the story that God's writing in your life, scars and all, and tell the story of Jesus to the world. I think it's why he had his scars. And I think it's an opportunity when you look at yours to speak highly of a God who loves you. Will you? Let me pray with you. God, we live in a world that has cut us deep and has left scars. And when that song talks about our hearts feeling like a sense of breaking, under the weight of sin, it has been crushing. But God, in your great mercy, in your great love, and your great justice, your son sacrificed and came and removed that pile, offered to do that. 
And God, um, as that pile gets taken off, we sometimes get frustrated that we still have to deal with the residual impact of what that sin leaves in our lives. But I ask that you would help us to change the story, to flip the script. Instead of just telling how we got into the mess, help us realize the story of how we got out, of the God who got us out. God, allow our lives to become the story that God uses to communicate his love to a world. I ask you to help us to look at these scars differently, that they would be that they would be places where we would realize that victory took place because of God coming to love us and offering us freedom. I ask you would give us the courage to stay in the process of renewal, not to back away, but to embrace it knowing that we get to talk about a story, a story of a God who loves, who's just, who's righteous, who has mercy, who is moving us somewhere we could have never gone on our own. We love you. May our lives tell your story in Jesus' name. Amen.